At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our Christmas message series, Eyewitness, Finding Your Christmas Story in Theirs, where you're invited to find your story in the extraordinary experiences of the men and women who witnessed the very first Christmas. Together, we'll see that no matter who we are, the coming of the Christ was for us. Now, as we begin today, I want to just acknowledge, as we said that we are beginning our Christmas Eve, or I should say our Christmas sermon series, and so I want to ask you guys, how are you doing on the decoration front? Do you guys have your Christmas decorations done already? How many, show of hands, how many of you have those decorations done? You You got the tree up, got the lights on the outside. How many of you are decorating with a nativity scene? You have a nativity scene in your home. Whether your crash is traditional or contemporary in style, whether you've got those cute little barn animals or perhaps an ornate-looking figurine, you've got all the primary characters there. You've got Mary and Joseph. You've got your farm animals. You've got some wise men and a couple shepherds. And, of course the baby Jesus. It's all there, right? When you talk about the nativity scene, that is one of the key pieces of our Christmas decor for many of us who are followers of Christ. But have you ever thought what it would be like to enter into that scene? Not just have the scene, but enter into the scene to actually be one of those individuals at the stable. The smell of the farm animals fresh in your nose. The brightest star you've ever seen in the sky. The sound of a cooing baby. A baby that would literally change the world. Today we are beginning that Christmas series, it's called Eyewitnesses, finding your Christmas story in theirs, and as we seek to unpack the events of the nativity, we desire to do so through the eyes of the people who were there. We're going to examine what it's like for those who were involved in the story of the birth of our Lord. Now, we're going to be doing that as we work through uh, the Gospel of Luke today, and we're going to turn there in just a moment. But before we do, let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank You for the story It's not just a story to decorate around our home. It is a story that truly changed the world. So God, over the course of these next few weeks, we desire to enter into that story, to understand more deeply the humanity of Emmanuel coming to our world. What that means for not only the people who lived it, but what it means for us, God. And we are reminded anew of the need for a Savior this week. 
not just for ourselves, but for our world, for the need for redemption. We are reminded of that again in fresh ways this week, God. And so we cry out to you today that the story of Jesus coming to our world would not just be a story, but it might be something that changes our lives. In order for that to happen, God, we need to understand the truth of your word, so we invite you to teach us today, that you'd give us eyes to see the truth that's found on the pages, to give us ears to hear this truth, God, and then give us humble, tender hearts before you, not to be callous to the story, but to be open, to be soft, to be moldable and pliable before your Holy Spirit today. So speak to us now through your word, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, as I mentioned, we are beginning this series by looking at the nativity through the eyes of a teenage girl by the name of Mary. She's the one that we are going to seek to understand what her story is like. And what we're going to clearly see today is kind of the overarching idea of today's text that nothing is impossible with our God. Nothing is impossible with God. So the setting is this it's a shoddy little town called Nazareth. That's the setting stuck halfway between two port cities of Tyre and Sidon. Nazareth was a place with no real reputation, marginalized kind of population and people group, and that that's exactly where an angel of the Lord, a messenger of God, would change the life of a virgin who was engaged to be married. So I want to encourage you to grab your Bible. We're going to be looking at Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. We're going to pick up the story at verse 26. Luke, chapter 1, verse 26. Here's what Luke writes. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age was also conceived a son, and in the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Two times in that text, we're told that the young girl's sexual purity status. Two times we are told that she's a virgin, and we even find that out twice before Luke even tells us the name of the young girl. You might say, well, why is that important? It's important to clearly communicate what we just read in verse 37, that for nothing is impossible with God. Let's dig a little bit deeper in Luke's narrative to see why that is. We're going to work through the text a few verses by a few verses to unpack and understand the significance of what's going on here with this young girl named Mary. In verses 26 and 27, what we see is a young peasant girl, as I mentioned, from a nothing town who was waiting to be married. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin. That's the first description there. Betrothed to a man who was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. There's no royalty here. There's no resources here. There's no reputation here. This is a humble girl. I love the way reformer Martin Luther describes Mary. He says, he may have gone to Jerusalem and picked out Caiaphas' daughter, who was fair, who was rich, who was clad in gold-embroidered raiment. But instead, God preferred a lowly maid, a lowly maid from a mean town. That's our God. Let's continue in the story in verses 28 and 29. The angel gives this humble young lady a message of God's favor upon her. It's a message that no one had ever heard before or, in fact, has ever heard since quite in this fashion. He came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled. She was troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you, you have found favor with God. So the humble girl with a humble family heritage from humble surroundings has been shown an amazing kindness and privilege by Almighty God. Remember, for nothing is impossible with God. And then in verses 31 and thir- through 33, the angel explains what it is that this privilege actually means, what it means to this young girl. And behold, he says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. 
He will be great and He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David. He will reign. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of His kingdom there will be no end. In that moment you have to be thinking, whoa, Enter into the story. You have been just been told all of these things, these significant descriptive words that the angel drops in that passage upon this young girl. He will be great. Most of us can identify with that because when we look at our kids, that's the first thing we think of, right? He's pretty great. This is different. He will be called Son of the Most High. None of us thought that of our children. And the Lord will give him the throne. What? What throne? The throne of his father, David. Suddenly, Mary in this moment is confronted with the idea that her child has roots in historical Israel and a future that goes well beyond anything that she can wrap her mind around, anything that she can comprehend in that moment. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, of this little boy's kingdom, there will be no end. Make no mistake, these are astonishing claims. These are claims of kingship and lordship. These are claims of Israel's long-awaited Messiah. Right here. This is where I want us to catch our collective breaths for just a moment. I want us to pause as we have heard these words describing this child. I want you to imagine yourself in the scene. You're a teenage girl. You were a virgin. Suddenly, an angel of God appears to tell you that you are not only with child, but that child is the Messiah. She's humble and reflective. As I'm guessing most of us would be in that moment, we would have many things going on in our head. And so we look at verse 34 and we see how Mary responds. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? I am trying to wrap my mind around all of this. How can what you're telling me possibly be true since I'm a virgin? How can this be? At the heart of Mary's question lies a truth that applies not only to Mary, but to you and to me as well, and that is this. When God calls, He provides. When God calls, He provides. As Mary is in this case, and when you and I are confronted head-on by the living God, we have questions, don't we? We are in that moment on our faith journey where we are, we are crushed by something that God is bringing to our attention right here, right now. I've got to deal with it. And what is our first response? Wait a second. I, I don't understand. 
I need clarity. I, I can't wrap my mind around all of this. I want to be very clear and very careful, not comparing with what you and I experience when we're confronted with God with what Mary is confronted with that is clearly on a different level, but there is some connection for you and me. When you and I are confronted with the call, the invitation to salvation, we humbly see that it is God that is doing the calling. It is God who is doing the wooing. He's the one that's calling us and inviting us in love to Himself. And He is the one who is providing the means for that salvation through the death of His Son, Jesus. So He's calling us. And He's providing for us. When God calls, He provides So whatever it is that you were confronted with today from the call of God, something very small, something very significant, whatever it is, know that the one who is calling is also the one who will do the providing. He is the one who will provide for you. So believer, whatever it is that God is confronting you with in this moment, when you are confronted with the truth of God's Word, He is confronting you this morning. He is inviting you into something this morning. He's nudging your heart. Whatever that is today, you can trust that God will provide what it is that you need. No matter your family heritage, regardless of your social status. Your background does not matter. No matter how insignificant or overwhelmed you might feel when God interrupts you and connects with you in a powerful and significant way, when He calls you to carry out something in your life, a kingdom purpose that God desires to work in you and through you, He also provides what you need. That should give us great encouragement today. Now let me make it a little more personal. We are heading into this Advent season as we prepare as a culture for the coming of Christ. We know how the story ends, but we celebrate every year the Advent, the coming of our Lord Jesus. So with that in mind, What might God be calling you to do today? What might God be inviting you into in the workplace, at your school, in your neighborhood? Who is that person that He has brought across your path that God desires for you to reach out and to extend a hand of love, a word of encouragement, something to communicate the truth of the gospel? So often we think when God calls somebody, you have to stand on the stage and be commissioned to another country. Sometimes that does happen. We saw that a few weeks ago. But sometimes it's in the small things. 
It's in the day-to-day things that God is confronting you. and He wants you to know, I will provide for what you need. Invest in someone who you know is hurting. Reach out, connect. If there's anything we have learned from this week, it is the importance of communicating and loving well. Let's put that on display. Now you might say, well, wait a second, Pastor, I, I'm afraid to do that sometimes. I get this sense that God through His Holy Spirit is convicting me to do something, to, to say something, and, I, and I'm afraid, and I want you to know that sometimes I feel that way too. But what God asks of His people What God asks of you and me if we claim to be in Christ, what God asks of His people are humble hearts of obedience. Now, let's return to our text, see what we can continue to learn from Mary's amazing story. Let's pick it up at verse 35. And the angel answered her. Remember, she asked that question How can this be? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Gabriel helps her see the magnitude of what is taking place in her body by making it abundantly clear that the conception of the child will be the direct work of divine activity. It's divine. This is what it means by the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Church, that is supernatural activity. And because of that fact alone, the child is rightfully called holy and the Son of God. Church, this is why biblical scholars and commentators and legendary famous pastors, people like J.C. Ryle, refer to this as the mystery of the incarnation. We can't fully wrap our mind around it because it is it is divine. It's divine. And in this moment, as if this is all too much for Mary to grasp, the angel gives her some encouragement of God's goodness. Let's continue reading. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. So Mary's family member, an elderly woman named Elizabeth, would bear a son even in this ripe old age, again reaffirming not only to Mary and to all who read this text, the marvelous and significant power of God. I love the humanity of this portion of the story. I mean, isn't it true of us that when we go through something really significant, it always feels better when we get to do it with someone we know, someone we love, someone who is there, who can kind of experience some of it right alongside us. You guys connect with that? Every single one of us feels encouraged when we get to experience something close 
to our hearts. When we can walk the path together. Now to be clear, Elizabeth's pregnancy is not supernatural. Yet because of her age, it does show the power and the significance of God at work. This is why the angel declares in that moment, nothing is impossible with God. Such a powerful story. So where does all this leave the humble young virgin? We've journeyed with her. We know her background. We understand some of the things that she's processing. She asks that real, honest, raw question. The angel gives her a response, gives her a friend to journey with together. How does she respond Let's look at verse 38 together. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Wow. I am a servant of the Lord, declares Mary. Her reputation... Her entire world is changed in an instant through the words of an angel. Wrap your mind around that. Everything she knows is different from this moment forward. And yet hers is a humble-hearted, open-handed posture before God. Let it be to me according to your word. Church, let me be clear about something. We can gloss over that because we've heard this story a thousand times. We can just brush past it. What we need to hear in this is a quiet heroism. In that moment, what we see is quiet heroism. She is not yet married to Joseph. So what would become of her relationship with the person she is engaged to? What's going to happen there? Adultery was a sin that carried with it in that culture the death penalty. So many questions, so much cultural shame and pressure, yet in the face of it all, she responds with humble strength. And it's this heart, this heart response of Mary that provides you and I with guidance for our faith journey today. When God calls us, we respond. When God calls you and I, respond. So church, what does that look like for all of us here today? We've read the story of Mary. We've entered into the situation that she is facing. What does it mean for you and for me? Perhaps today is the day that God is inviting you unto salvation. He's inviting you into His greater story. You'd say, I have been in church many, many times. I've heard the Christmas story many, many times. But today is different because I see that God is calling me and inviting me to experience His love and His grace and His mercy for the very first time. When God calls, 
respond in humility. Respond with repentance and faith. Acknowledge your sin before a holy God. Confess it to Him. Say, I believe the story of Jesus who is the Messiah who came to die on a cross for my sin. Receive it. Respond in faith today. God is calling you to Himself. Respond in faith. Perhaps you're already a believer. But God is inviting you to take a step of faith. You sit here today and there is brokenness in your family. Your marriage is in need of healing. There is dependence that is needed when it comes to your finances. Maybe God is calling you to respond to His call today to take a step of faith this morning, to respond by saying, I trust God in those areas of my life in a way that I never have before. Take a step of faith. Or perhaps God is inviting you today to give something up. You've been holding on to something so tightly that you've just never been able to release it, whether it is an addiction, a personal struggle, a sin that only you know about. Maybe today is the day that God is inviting you. He's inviting you, He's calling you to come to Him in love and experience His grace in ways that you can't even imagine. So come to him and respond in surrender. Church, these are responses that God loves from his people. We see it modeled in the life of Mary whose response was rooted in humility and in trust. And Because these responses model a faith that truly believes nothing is impossible with God. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.